Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show about art, craft, and creativity. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by KnitCollage.com. This is a place where you can find yarn with all kinds of jazz in it, ranging from Angelina sparkly fibers to sequins and even tiny crochet flowers. So head on over to KnitCollage.com to find out how you can get your hands on some of this lovely fiber. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by TortaJala.com. Visit TortaJala.etsy.com for a selection of handmade leather-bound journals, and you'll find all kinds of inspiration and crafty goodness over at TortaJala.com. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by ArtTales.etsy.com, and this is where you can find lefties. Lefties are one-eyed plush creations handmade with upcycled materials from thrift stores and yard sales and stuffed with recycled plastic bags. So head over to arttales.etsy.com to check out the latest selection of lefties. Okay, so let's get to it, folks. It's time to craft sanity. Well, hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm really excited about the interview that you're about to hear. I got a chance to sit down and chat with Chris DeLongpre, who is a local knitwear designer here in West Michigan. You actually may have made some of her designs. Her company is called Knitting at Noon, and that's um, noon with a K in front of it. (laughs) She makes a variety of designs for kids and also a really successful line of toy patterns as well. And... I sat down to talk to Chris. I had interviewed her before for the newspaper and recently did another column about her because she has a new book out, Timeless Knits for Kids, size 4 to 14. And this is a really great self-published book that features a collection of 12 classic and practical sweater patterns. And the thing that makes this book so interesting is that she designed these sweaters for her grandkids. Even if you're not a knitter, if you're, you know, maybe you crochet or you sew or you quilt or you, you maybe you paint, whatever you do, if you have ever thought about self-publishing, you'll want to listen to this this podcast because Chris is really very generous with information about her experience self-publishing. We are going to make reference a couple times to the interview that I did with Kat Wardy. That was um, back on episode 84 of the podcast. Kat Bordy has a visionary retreat that she hosts for those who design knitwear and um, write their own knitting patterns, specifically those who have an interest in self-publishing. And Chris actually has benefited from those visionary retreats and actually worked on this project and another project with that support system in place. I hope you uh, are inspired by this episode to maybe dust off the dream you have to publish something yourself. Whether or not you want to go with publisher or self-publish, I think you'll learn from this episode either way. So grab a project, grab your knitting, that's particularly appropriate today, and settle in for a chat with Chris DeLongpre. We're going to start with Chris talking a little bit about her creative roots. I have been crafting and making things my entire life. I had a chance last weekend to relive some of that because my granddaughter, Alex, who's eight years old, wanted to learn to sew. So we went over to Fields Fabrics together. And it was so much fun to talk with her about what kind of things she wanted to make 
and to watch her selection process of the fabric. And it made me realize that that kind of, of crafting and making has been such an important part of my life. And now I had a chance to share it with her. And I hope that she will, will be able to rely on that as, mm -hmm. as she grows. Because I really did rely on that. That's what I did. I was a very um, loner kind of child. My mother died when I was very young. And if I hadn't had that in my life, I wouldn't have had anything. Yeah. How old were you when your mother died? Fourteen. Okay. Oh, wow. That's a critical age, too. Yeah. But yeah. she had taught me how to sew. She taught me how to knit. She made everything herself. She had been an occupational therapist before she married my father. And so crafting was a part of her life, too. Uh, my grandmother made everything. We actually, and to this day, when I think of something I'd like to have or own, you know, curtains or an art piece or whatever it is, I think first of, how am I going to make that? Right. And and so that's what I reached to in retirement as a hobby, really, was, was knitting and designing things for my newborn grandbabies. And the pattern business of knitting at Noon Design grew out of that. And so what did you retire from? I was, oh, I've had so many careers and so many eras in my life, but at that time I had been working as an information technology professional for about 15 years. Okay. I was an information security analyst for Metropolitan Health Corporation. That was the last job. And I was 53 when I retired from the corporate world, and I thought I was retired. But... Well, at 53, you're not quite done at 53. Well, yeah. I'm never going to be done, right, done. Right. But I thought but, that um, I was... Yeah, uh, there's and, still a lot of yeah, life to live. Yeah, There is. There a lot is of careers a to have. lot to do. Yes, <laughs> a lot to do and a lot I still want to do. Now, when you left your career, when you re retired from your career at 53, did you... What, what was your plan? Did you plan to start a knitting business? Or? I did not. I, I really didn't. I was I was worn out, actually. Yeah, just And I just break. needed a break, and I thought, well, you know, I don't have to work, and so I'm not going to work for a while, which was amazing because I'd been working since I was 17 without a break. Yeah. And so to say to myself, I'm going to give myself a gift of time off mm -hmm. was incredible, but apparently I'm not suited to repair to retirement because <laughs> just knitting for the grandbabies wasn't enough. No, I had to write the patterns. I had to publish the now, patterns. Now, had you been a knitter? So you learned, did your mother teach you to knit? Except she one did. Of the things. Okay. She did, but I never incorporated knitting so much in my crafting um, until I had, my own daughters were teenagers. And okay. when they stopped needing me so much, I had a lot of time on my hands, right. and um, I took up knitting again because I could still, with sewing, you're locked away in the sewing room right, and out of things. Right, you have to be with the sewing machine, and you can't right. really carry on a conversation, especially the older machines are kind of loud. Right. Now and they're I, like the Whisper 2000 sewing machines. Exactly, <laughs> but I don't have one of no, those. No, I don't either. And, <laughs> and yeah, so now it's different, but so with the knitting, yeah, you're right, you can have a conversation, you can be watching exactly. TV. I could be present as they came and went with yes, their friends, exactly. but there I was with my knitting. Right. And and that's when it really, really took for me. Yeah, so when your daughters were teenagers. So you were, how old were you at that point? Let's see. Well, 
I was somewhere between 45 and 50, I okay. think. Okay, so it wasn't long, I mean, before you really no. you retired and had a lot of time then for yeah. knitting. Yeah. Is that what you gravitated to when you had your time off, or were you um, sewing too, or was it mostly I wasn't knitting? sewing much at that time at all. Now I'm more of a mender. I do make the kids' Halloween costumes every year. Yeah. But other than that, I'm more of a mender. Um, Good for you, because my mending is what gets neglected. <laughs> it might sit there for months. But you know what? And I my sewing room in Craft Alcove is in my master bedroom. I wake up every morning seeing my sewing oh, table so with the mending you, on okay, it. Okay, so that would make you mend a little so faster. So at least once every two weeks, I sit down and, and, make some, and do get something. through the mending. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah, for me, it's a pile of neglect, and I'm more interested in making a dress or something well, I'm always more interested in doing anything than mending, but sometimes I just don't want to wake up and look at it anymore. No, the guilt eats away at you slowly. Yeah, sure does. Yeah, well, that's a strategy. So for the folks at home, we want to actually get their mending done, perhaps piling it on your nightstand. Yes, yes. It's somewhere where you have to look at it every morning when you wake up. Yeah, and it kind of forces you to finally come to terms with that. So, so for you, it really became about the knitting. You know, your kids became teenagers, and then you retired, and you found that you weren't just knitting for the grandchildren. You were designing the garment that you were knitting, which, had you ever done design before that? Yeah, I just grew up knowing that if I could see it, I could make it. I was not the kind of what person that needed instructions. What a gift your mother gave you. Yeah, Absolutely. For me, I always try to figure out, like, try. I, I very rarely follow a pattern exactly and sometimes it's to my own detriment because <laughs> there usually is a way a reason why the designer wrote it that way you know and i, I but kinda... many times there's not and good designers will want you to experiment and embellish on your the own problem is, though, i started doing this right when i learned to knit and i really do think that with anything whether you're sewing knitting crocheting whatever you're doing and you're starting out if you start to go off-road when your skills won't support you, <laughs> it's a dangerous thing. But I think you're right, though. I think most designers, they love it when they see somebody who's taken their pattern and, and posted on Flickr this cool photo of something that they added an embellishment or maybe they took off, a, you know, did the sleeves differently. But the basis is still their design and they're crediting you as being the inspiration for them to do this, mm -hmm. that's got to be very gratifying. It's wonderful. That. Yeah. It's absolutely wonderful to be the, the springboard for someone else's creativity. Mm -hmm. It's just the best. And it sounds like for you, designing was not this giant flying leap because you had been your whole life thinking, okay, you get a picture in your head and you just make that. You try to make it. And how? So was it pretty easy for you to start writing patterns for oh, other people? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, through all my other careers, technical writing was a big part of what I did. That's huge. And I was a computer programmer for for quite a few years, too. So you're all about explaining things explaining for people. Explaining things for people. And I've been told that the directions in my patterns are exceptional in that regard. Um, I have found, I have several of your patterns, and I found that just in my oh, own. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, because I was in my 20s when I, uh, I made, I think the first pattern of yours that I did was and I'm going to get the name of the pattern wrong, of course, but um, it's a set you have, the Welcome Home. We Won Welcome yes. set. Yes. And I That's made our that, number one best-selling pattern. I made pattern. that for my, both of my daughters went home <gasps> in their own. Jennifer, from, and you never even sent me pictures. Oh, yeah. wow. Well, you know me, I never print out my pictures. I'll yeah. look back in the archives. <laughs> yeah, I made each of my children. Oh, that's Out wonderful. of like a variegated, I don't know if I used like a Noro. I might have gotten that wrong. Perhaps I could have just made one. And I repeated it. Because I think I made one for my sister's child. I've made two. Okay. <laughs> you know, and I'm, not, I'm actually not that far. My kids are only 
four and six. I can't remember back. It's because you're years. so busy, My and there words. are so many projects. My word, but no, it's. But I love the pattern, and I love the fact that as I was not all that experienced at knitting when I made that pattern, and it was such a gratifying thing to be making something for your child, and it's such an important part of your life. I mean, when you bring a, your first baby home from the hospital to have them wearing something that, that you, you made. made. It is such a beautiful thing, and you, so you're part of that moment for oh, all these people. Oh, so wonderful. I and mean, that's going to be awesome for you, because you made it. It's the We Welcome, so it's kind of yes. for... For bringing babies home. And, and I get happening. many emails and letters and pictures from grandmothers and moms that have done that, and it is very gratifying. I often think when I'm designing something, especially for children, right. that... I hope that there will be a lot of happy kids wearing this. Yeah. I hope a lot of people will knit their love into this yeah. for their children. That's just really part of what inspires me. So I bought the pattern at one of the local knitting shops, and I remember after knitting that, I'm like, oh, I wonder what else she made. Because I really like the pattern. Some patterns are like, okay, I'm not going to go back to this designer because it's a little. I had a little trouble. I'm not mm -hmm. ready for this, or maybe the directions aren't clear or whatever. But I liked it, so I. it wasn't until a short time later that I realized that you were right in town, and I could not believe it. I'm like, wow, I could throw a rock and hit this woman's house for my... Not that I would want to throw a rock at your house, but <laughs> I'm... I mean, I live in Kentwood, too, and so it was really just almost astounding to me that someone, a designer right in town, had created this pattern that was such a huge part of my family life. You know, it's part of our history. You know, I haven't gotten it up yet, but it's going in the shadow box because no one fits into it now. And of this is something <laughs> I don't loan out uh -huh. because it's one of those heirloom things, and... That's so you know, sweet. You know, my oldest daughter, Jenny, um, told me at the end of this school year, yeah. the sweaters that her son, Jeremy, had worn in the book. The kids all got to keep their yeah, sweaters. Yeah, I read that. And I knit every one that you see in the book. And as he was, as she was packing them up, he said, you have to put these in a special place for my son, Mommy. Oh, wow. And how and old he's is he? six. See, that's really neat that he appreciates that. So I hope everybody listening will remember that when you make something for a child, they notice it means something. Oh, it does. And I think sometimes people don't think that kids are going to notice that, but they do. And it's really funny, some of the stuff. I just sew with a charity sewing group, and they showed me how to make underwear for kids in foster care. And I thought, well, I've never made underwear. And I'm thinking, who makes underwear? I used to make kudos. it because I was a maniac. But, but you know what? I make underwear now for my kids. Because I came home with my charity uh, project that I was doing. My kids said, what are you making? And I said, oh, I'm making underwear for kids in foster care. And I explained what foster care was and all this. And they, well, can you make, when are you going to make us underwear? You know, because they were like, well, if you're making underwear for kids in foster care, why well, don't we get Why don't we it? get But it? I didn't think they would want. I, I, for some reason, even as someone who's raised them to appreciate handmade, I didn't think they'd want underwear that mom made. And they're like, well, let's go to Joanne's and pick out fabrics. The next thing we know, I like immediately dropped everything. I'm like, okay, this is an opportunity I will not miss. Uh -huh. And my daughter's sixth birthday was coming up and she wanted her own handmade, like, handmade underwear. By mommy. And underwear. I just thought, now that's a birthday request you don't normally get. Not a kid requesting get. underwear. Yeah. I'm sure this will embarrass her to no end when she's older. But then the little sister wanted underwear. So oh, I know, went through it with know, my daughters too. I made so all excited. their swimsuits. I made all their pajamas. When my oldest daughter was um, three or about that age, I had to pick up a quick baby gift because I just hadn't had time to make anything yeah. for this baby. So we're in downtown Holland. There was a 
children's store there that's not there anymore, and I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, we're in the store, and I'm buying a little sleeper or something for the baby, and my daughter stands there and says, Look, Mommy, there's a dress, and it's already sewn together. <laughs> so funny that they just thought they came in bolts of fabric and yeah. you had to make the whole thing. That was their entire experience. Yeah, yeah. and I can say that I have not had the time to make every single thing for my children, but they appreciate. And so now it, it definitely encourages me to like, because I, I think I had kind of forgotten. I mean, I've existed in this mass-produced world, you know, where we have the conveniences of you go and you buy a pack of underwear, you know, and it never really occurred to me that my kids would care so much. Well, and it used to when my daughters were little. It made economic sense. Well, now it's now not it's, really, it's not really <laughs> economic sense. Uh -uh. Of course, you know, store-bought things don't, do not hold up the same way. Um, if you sew something, you know, or knit something, you can definitely make a higher quality product. But you can. That's so great that your grandson was, you know, at six. You know, and that's how you know that he's definitely in a handmade family. You know, it's it's a definitely the mindset and the appreciation that he already has mm -hmm. at six. That's ingrained. Like mm -hmm. he's gonna. All the kids have asked me because they're all outgrowing their sweaters now for a new sweater for school this fall, and they are very specific about what they want. It has to be this color. Do you have the time? I can do it because I'm giving myself a little time off to knit what I wanted to knit. Oh, that's, well, and after this mad dash to do Exactly. So it's being very nice. I work um, for my business about six hours a day, and the rest of the time I have to devote to knitting things for the grand. So when you retired and you started knitting, how quickly after that point did you realize, like, okay, there's a business opportunity here. Well, I didn't realize that at first. But at that time, I wasn't, yarn companies weren't showering me with yarn yet because nobody knew about me. And I was frequently at the thread vendor okay. in Wyoming. And Julianne Anderson, I would show her what I was working on, what I'd done. And she encouraged me to write the patterns. Mm -hmm. And so I did. And What was your first pattern? The We One Welcome set. Wow, that's a pretty <laughs> successful one. Cause that it was, is. Like, you didn't have, like, a bomb first pattern. You no. know what I mean? Because, like, some people are like, oh, yeah, I did this kind of lame No, many, many of my first patterns are still in my catalog and still in my top ten sellers. Wow. Little sun hats, the We yeah. One Welcome set, Sweet Pea. They're always right up there at the top of the list. From a knitter's perspective, what I think the reason why that is is they're so accessible. They're fun. They're easy. But yet, they're not so easy that you would think of it on your own. You know, kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like it's an easy pattern, but it's not something I would be like, oh, I'm going to sit down and just whip this right up. You know. Um, I like to make the knitting easy. I'm a classic kind of gal. I like clean lines, but I like to have fun with my knitting. So there's right. always a little whimsy in there, yeah. a little something to make it interesting yeah. and fun. So I retired in March, and by July, I was a DBA. Knitting at oh, New wow. Designs, and I had eight designs in my portfolio. So by and July, I wow. had about fifteen shops carrying my patterns. Now I have seven hundred. Wow! And I have seventy to eighty-five patterns in my portfolio. Wow! So we're starting. We're at the beginning of our eighth year in business now, and I say we now because my husband is a part of the business too. Okay, so did he leave a job to become part of the business? No, he just retired. He sold his company and. He's still a part of that. He's on the board of directors. He has another little company. But we both work at home. Yeah. And one of the things he does for me is to print and ship all of our patterns. 
I could not have this business at this time well, in my life. Well, especially with the volume that you're doing. Yes. You're shipping to 700 places, you know, 700 yes. shops. Yes. You can't physically do that plus answer all your emails right. and design more patterns. Right. He spends about two hours a day on just that piece of it. And you're doing your six hours a day. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And the designing is a whole other animal, but he can always tell when I'm in design mode because he'll look at me and my eyes are kind of glazed over and I'm not <laughs> answering his questions, you know, because I'm working on a design. Right, right. So he knows. And that's one he of the knows. other beauties of marriage, too, is that when you're in a relationship with a person for a long time, people... You know when you know you know the person's quirks. You know when you can you know get a clear answer and when it's best just to come back later. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. he knows how to read you. Yeah. So that started very. I mean, within months you were it up did. and running. It did, but it took a while to to grow the pattern line to the point where I had enough items to fill a booth at the trade show. Okay. And that was my next goal. I'm going to the trade show of the National Needle Arts Association because that's where all the all know. There are, are about 2,200 knitting stores in this country and less than 25% are members of TNNA. But it's an important market. All the yarn companies are there. It's where you make all the contacts right. you need. And so, although it only reaches a small segment, it's a really important place to start. Right. Um, Did you go every year? I go to two TNNA shows a year oh, now. You still January do. is the spring summer show, okay. and June is the uh, the fall winter show. And yes, uh, we go to every single show. It's very very important if you're not a player in that group at that level. Well, it depends on what your business plan is. Okay. I I once I saw that I could do this and people liked my stuff and it, you wanted to get it out. There. I wanted to get it and I wanted to grow the business as big as I could because okay. I'm just a, I'm a compulsive individual you know I want to take everything to <laughs> right. its end point right so um, in 2005 we went to our first National Needle Arts Association market and that is where I met Kat Bordee I knew her name of course because nobody who spends a lot of time in the knitting world doesn't at least know who she is. Yeah, she's um, widely known. And when she walked up to my booth and introduced herself, I was just overwhelmed. It was like, <laughs> I'm talking to a luminary. I'm talking to a luminary. And she said, well, what is it that you do? And, you know, we talked for a while about my designing. And, and she said, I really would like you to consider making an application to my retreat program. Something just resonated between us that she took a chance on me mm -hmm. because there are so many people that want to go and want to do this. And right. she is very selective about who she admits to her workshop. Well, I think what from my interview with her, and I'll refer listeners to that episode, she wants to select people. Like, she doesn't want to waste people's time. I mean, I, it was very clear that exactly. she's not, I mean, because some people can... Say she can make tons of money if she just said, "Come on to my workshop." And she's, she's not, in, she's not into come. Monday. Yeah, but she come. is. But she's not, not looking to do that no. at all. She's looking to select people that are, you know, on the right path, and she she knows and believes are going to be successful. Because so, she's not. It's not a. It, she's definitely not motivated to try to sell out as many spaces as she because no. she could admit thousands of people to this exactly. thing. Exactly, but she doesn't. How many people were in your group that? 
the year I was new and and, and we returned. Yes, yeah. we returned, but I did not go this last year because I was so busy with the book. But the year that I went, there were probably more newcomers than than she has now because she has more returning people right, coming back. Right, she can't too. take a bunch of um, yeah. I think there were like maybe ten or eleven of us, okay. and we became absolutely were, was fast this the friends. First group or were no, you, no, it was the first time I went. Okay, okay. And I think that though you bond with all the visionaries in time, right. the group that you go with as newbies That's become your, your like your fast friends. Right, because you're all kind of in this together. Right. right. And the year I went, Cookie A. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Was a newbie, and Janelle Laidman. Okay, yeah. Was a newbie. And uh, many, many other just fine people, Margaret Fisher, Carol Breitner, just, you know, they're, they're like my friends now. Yeah. There's been no other experience like that in my life. Well, Kat starts each retreat session with a, sort of an introductory piece, and you talk about your first experiences with fiber, and then she has this gorgeous brass bell that she brings every time. And she rings the bell. And there's absolute silence as we listen until there's no more tone from the bell. And she wants our projects to ring true. And oh, I what think, a great metaphor. Yeah. yeah. I think really that it has a lot to do with how she selects people. Mm -hmm. Because she can kind of tell whether you are going to create a project that rings true. <laughs> well... I think there's so much pressure these days, especially since the market is so saturated. There are so many books and so many people that are designing or wanting to be, wanting to be designers. And I think a lot of times people sometimes get distracted and caught up in this wave of what's going to sell becomes the most important thing sometimes. And they overlook what should I really be doing? Because like, I think I found that if I do what I want to do, what really is meaningful to me, Money has followed. Granted, not a whole lot of money. Well, I don't want to mislead people. That's it. People. I'm not up yeah, there with. I'm not going to mislead people into thinking that <clears throat> it's, I'm sitting on a whole that pile of money. That is really lucrative. It's not no. like that at all. But I find that, and I think that that's one of the things that I got the sense from Kat when I interviewed her, that it's not about piles and piles of money. You know, she's been very, very successful with her books. You know, and was able to actually leave her job because her books were so successful. And she definitely has a gift, you know, a, a rare gift you know, when it comes to self-publishing and really being really successful with that because it's much harder than if you have a publisher to do your, you know, promotions and marketing and all that stuff. Um, when you do it yourself, it's a whole different ballgame. But what I really love about the whole concept of what you've done and what she's helping other people do is that it's, it's authentic because your book, um, and why don't you tell, tell, tell the folks at home the title of your book. It's Timeless Myths for Kids, size 4 to 14. And this is really autobiographical really for you yes I think you say somewhere in your intro that it didn't really even <laughs> matter to you so much if people like glommed onto this because you really wrote this book it's a very personal thing it's it your is grandchildren. an extremely personal these are thing. sweaters they're wearing right I designed them they informed the designs because of who they are I took all the pictures in this book and they're my own loving little faces yeah. on the pages. And so to me, it's equally important as a photo album of a chapter in our lives together right, as right. it is as a knitting book. What we were talking about before, that integrity of self mm -hmm. sort of invests itself in a project. And that's what helps make it work. And I'm very, very proud 
of the self that shines from the pages of well, this book. Well, and that's the thing is, if you would have written this book, the same, called it Timeless and it's for Kids, and it was size 4 to 14, and the kids were models hired by a publishing company, that and would the, have entirely changed. And the photos were posed. Yeah. Instead of my own kids having so much fun doing what they do. Right. And that, so it would have changed a lot. And it would have changed know. a lot. And that, and that I think is, is the major reason why I wanted to self-publish or not at all. I have publishers contacting me all the time to do books for them. I want control over my projects. Mm -hmm. I want them to be me at right. the bottom, at the bottom line. So, so yes, that's important. And for you, I mean, obviously, you also didn't need the validation from a major publisher because you already have a pattern line that's very successful. You wouldn't have 700 shops carrying your patterns if they were not worth anything. I mean, they're clearly, they're very successful. I pride myself on the reorders. Exactly. Anybody can order the first time around, but then when they call for the next order, like, it's like, All right. oh, your customers liked it. Good. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. And, that's, and for you, that's been the validation. But mm -hmm. I, I think for a lot of people, and I've, I've struggled with this a little bit myself because I have that same, I've been on the fence about book writing. I mean, I, as, since I was a little child, I want, I want to write a book, but I really struggle with the whole do you self-publish or do you try to go with a publisher and have it be maybe something that's not entirely authentic and you at the end? Because I haven't interviewed a single author that didn't at some point have some kind of, there was a compromise made. And anytime mm -hmm. you work, I mean, it's like anything, if you're not self-employed and you work for someone else, you, you have to make a compromise. There's no way that you can't call the shots if you're not in charge of the situation. Mm -hmm. And, but at the same time, um, I think for a lot of people, it's very meaningful for them to have a huge publisher come and say, hey, you know, but the thing is, what I've also learned is that it's not, it's not lucrative really to be any kind of like, if, even if you have the big publisher come and, and knock on your door, um, it's not going to be a situation. So you might be taking very little money. You have the validation, but you have no control. <laughs> you have and no control you, and it isn't going to pay off in the same way if you're needing to support yourself. Right. You need to look at, at those figures, too. It, it's a, a question of your business plan and what you right. want for yourself. How big of a risk was it for you? Well, you already had an established knitting business to fall back on. So this was I not did, and I had one. carefully garnered. I have never spent a penny of the money I earned from, from knitting at noon other than to put it back into, into the, the company. Okay. And, and, I've, and I've managed to save quite a bit over the years. So... I didn't have to borrow money for the printing. I mean, I had the money to do that, mm -hmm. uh, which is just kind of the way I live my life anyway. Right, right. And so it's a risk, but because that money is just a pool of money to fund these ventures, right. for me it didn't feel like a terrible risk. Right. Well, But it sounds like it's going to be, this will actually pay off better for you than if you would have went with a publisher. I mean, do you feel that way? I mean, do you feel Absolutely. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I've done a couple of books for leisure arts, and they do quite well. And leisure arts is is very fair in their remuneration policies. One of them, I was really sorry I didn't have control on the photography and the choice of yarns. Oh. That was the first one I did for them, and it's not doing as well as the second one, where they did a wonderful job with the production, and I got to choose the yarns. Okay. So. And so it, it made a big difference in the, in the final project. And, and so I learned some things through that. But now they have a track record with me. 
And so I have a lot more control over the projects that I do for them. How early was it in your career as a designer that you started working for Leisure Arts? Well, they approached me, I think, at the same trade show that Cat Bourdie did. Yeah, um, because at that time, most of the pieces in my line were babies and toddlers because my grandchildren were babies and toddlers. Now, I don't do exclusively children's things, though. I have an extensive adult line. Right, you do. But I think that my my love and my personality, the integrity of self, tends to shine through a a little more on my kids' line and and my baby's line and my Mm -hmm. toy line and my doll clothes line uh, because that's where I am in my heart. Right. So... But so they saw my kids' things, my baby things, and that's when they approached me to do a baby and, book for them. Okay, and what is that book called? It's called Options Babies. Is it's that... a leaflet with oh, maybe six designs. Okay, and then uh, the second book I did for them because I had started doing toy designing by that time, and my toy patterns are hot. Oh, they are. They are really, they are really hot, yeah. and I was so surprised. Here's this nerdy little elephant. No, but like the whole softy thing, just with people sewing, crocheting. Yeah. Knitting, the whole thing is completely taken off. Yeah. 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 So they approached me to do some toys for them, and they had the idea that each of the toys should have a matching blanket. This would be for babies. Oh. And I just said, wonderful, let's do it. I didn't really even care if I got any money out of the deal. <laughs> because because like, I like I it babies so much. Yeah. Yeah. And so we did um, Duck, Duck, Goose, and This Little Piggy, and The Mouse Takes the Cheese, and Snips and Snails and Puppy Dog Tails. And they produced the cutest book. The little bullets in the pattern are little mouses or little piggies, depending on whatever. And their photography is is spot on. That's a leaf as well. They're still available? Oh, Oh, yes. Both of them are still available. When did those come out? That must not have been very long ago. Collection of characters came out about two years ago, and okay. Options Babies maybe the year before that, or okay. two years before that. I'm not so you sure. had some experience before you even made it to Cat Forty's workshop with working with. Well, the actually, first. or with, did that come first? The first project I did for Cat was a DVD, and I was oh, the only one okay. doing a DVD. Okay. And I produced because on my website I have free tutorial videos right. that show how to do the Kitchener stitch and so forth. And we made them really kind of low resolution because at the time we put up my website and did this, 2003, 2004, many, many knitters still had dial-up access. Right, and you can. So to watch a video, it had to be pretty low resolution. So these get the job done, but they're Mm -hmm. not always very polished or pretty. But we had such a huge positive response to those. And so many sites linked to us as a result of those videos. But it wasn't a complete collection. Well, right. I don't think you ever get a complete collection because people still write me with ideas for other things right. I should demonstrate. Right. But so my first project when I went as a visionary to CAT was to produce a DVD of higher resolution, better quality, more extensive content videos. And I got so much support from the visionary circle to do this and so many good ideas for things that would make the DVD important Mm -hmm. to people and I incorporated them all and made a beautiful DVD and it's still selling today. And what is that called? It's called Knitting Fundamentals, a reference guide. Okay. So that was what I did for Kat first and then the next year when I went back 
as a returning visionary to share that project and be a part of the excitement once again. I was already germinating ideas for several print books because mm -hmm. I did want to do a print book. And it's a little bit like having a baby. Did you have this experience <laughs> when you first was born, like the 30 minutes later, you're saying, let's do this again. Well, I had a C-section, so oh. I was not actually, <laughs> okay. I probably had that like maybe like two to three weeks later. Okay. <laughs> I remember um. <laughs> thinking almost immediately, let's do this again. Well, when this book came back from the printer and I looked at it, my first thought was, oh yeah, that old thing. Because I'd been living with the galleys for so long. <laughs> it's not as exciting. No. <laughs> but then I thought, let's do this Yeah, again. yeah, yeah. So I have two more books in the works. That's and great. hopefully I will live long enough to see them published. Well, the, the next two will probably go faster just because you know what to do. I mean, you think well, it kind of Well, it depends on my other business, too. Still, it's a part-time job producing the book. And for one of them, I'm going to need uh, a granddaughter or two modeling. And that added a lot of extra time. This project, I tell you what, they grow so fast. And it's never the right season to take the picture right, of the sweater. Right, right. And so did you have to change the sizes? Like, I did. You had to redo sweaters. I did. We had to redo sweaters. This picture from Summer Camp 2008, they all had camp jackets on. Okay. And it was my intent at Summer Camp in 2008 to photograph all of them for the book. Well, what a fiasco. <laughs> getting four kids ready to wear that sweater at the same time or thinking this is a good idea. I decided we'd do it around the campfire. Okay, so the first thing that happened, they all had their sweaters on. We went down. We built the fire. The boys had lost their marshmallow sticks that Grandpa had made for them. The girls still had theirs, but all of a sudden there was a lot of fighting about who gets to cook the first marshmallow. <laughs> well, the girls do because they still have their sticks. And, ah, shucks, and, you know, I'll go over here and throw rocks in the lake then. And, <laughs> and so, like the happy, cheerful photo. No, it wasn't. And then my youngest granddaughter... Her marshmallow caught on fire, and she pulled it out quickly. Oh, no. And it flew off the end and landed on my arm. Oh, no. And it's burning in. I call it marshmallow napalm. Oh, it's no. burning into my arm, and I'm trying to, oh, honey, that's too bad. You burned your mark. I didn't want her to know that it, she was had hurt you. me. Yeah, and so at that point, I decided, we're not taking these pictures. <laughs> so I had this one snapshot. <laughs> Of them That's like the one from right before we went down so to, to the and look at their expressions. I mean, they're like, hmm, they're yeah. obviously but no, but not obviously not like The here. thing is, I think that's a cuter photo than a staged photo. Absolutely, because look, when I take and photos the, of my kids and like their cousins, I take the photos of them all getting on, lined up on the couch, like the other uh -huh. adults trying to line yeah. them up on the couch. And I take pictures of what happens when they start climbing. One climbs over the back. <laughs> Good for you. And, like, I don't just get the – I don't wait for the one shot that everyone wants to get a print of. I take the whole series, and I think they're hilarious. Like, I love the photos where one kid's crawling off, another kid's they're, they're elbowing, trying to speak. Absolutely. Face, blah, blah, blah. That is hilarious That's, to me. That, so, but you, of course, can't do a whole book <laughs> of your knitting patterns with people fighting and burning. Well, I decided and, through this experience – um, and this was to kick off the photography for yeah, the book, which yeah. actually happened in 2009, but not in 2008. Right, so you had to then resize. Well, this this gal who's on my cover had outgrown her sweater, and so we had another one to knit before we could photograph again. Which is not a quick undertaking, even no, for you. No, no. 
and because yeah. I wanted to be the person to knit the sweaters and I was you knitting designs for my own lines and I had test knitters and tech editors and it just became a big, big thing. But I like big, messy projects. I'm a real planner and I can pull them off, but it took incredible amount of time and right. focus and devotion and and really it wore me out. I'm happy that I have a break this summer to just knit. So logistically you had quite a bit of plan because I mean, a lot of people will hire out a photographer but and try to get it. Yeah. Now, I wanted the kids in environments that meant something to them and that were fun. Just doing the stuff they do. You're in their town, do. you're in your town, you're at right. summer camp. Where's summer camp? Summer camp is in Glen Arbor, okay. uh, Glen Lake. Okay. And we go every year. These kids so have been going every year. It means a lot to the family. It really does. It's our time to just get together and commune. And so the cover shot was taken there. Um, a lot of. Um, the photography was done there or in in their home hometown home place doing their own things so but well, it took a long time <laughs> yeah and, and and is this a huge like did you were you able to get it printed locally or how does this work the, um i use the printer that cat uses in manitoba canada okay um a lot of the visionary authors have used um that printer they expect our business they do a good job oh, for yeah, us yeah. and it's printed in north america Actually, they have a, an agency in Los Angeles. It's kind of a liaison. So it's like working with an American company. Yeah. And I just chose them because because Kat uses them. And Janelle Laidman, um, who worked with me on the layout for the book, uses them too. She had two books to her credit when she helped me with the layout for this one. So um, she'd always used them. And actually, she was my liaison. She was the person who talked to the printer and did, did all that. I was not averse to hiring people. I hired tech editor, sample and test knitter, um, a layout and design and liaison to the printer. Um, it's not like I did every piece of this myself, but I chose the pieces that were important well, to me to do. And I chose the people. So, yeah. And we worked together closely on what was happening. Yeah, but it probably helped you to have, I mean, it sounds like a lot of these people were associated with the visionary mm -hmm. retreat and this whole, so it was people that you either knew through that or Kat could refer you to people. So it wasn't like starting completely from scratch trying no. to figure out, okay, where can I print? Who could be my tech editor? It, well, that's could, the beauty you know. of the retreats is because all that information is shared and how to get your ISBN number and how to register for a copyright and it's all in Kat's nifty little little book. Which is hard booklet. to I mean you have to do a lot I mean that takes months of work to try and to figure then, it out. And the fact that the visionaries stay together. You're still a visionary. Any one of the visionaries can call me with a question about how to do this and I'm happy to share with them what I did. Right. And I had the same experience. I called so on call some of my friends that published. were yeah, in the same uh originating class as, as I was and um we share ideas and help each other a lot. Which is so wonderful because when you go it alone there, it's hard. It's, it's very really hard. hard. It's very hard because there's a lot of stuff to know. Right. And a lot of a lot of ways you can make mistakes yeah. <laughs> too. So now, because it is a limited uh, opportunity, not everybody listening to this will be able to become a visionary, and um, <clears throat> and that's just I mean understandable because there just isn't 
time or space. It's not enough of that. Right, yeah. exactly. I mean, she's one woman. Mm -hmm. um, but is there anything from your experience just publishing this first book that, you know, you could, any information that you think would be helpful, and I'm not, I mean, obviously I'm not asking you to pour out everything you know about it because that would take days, you know, I mean, to, to explain it, but is there something that you think for the person that might be on the fence, maybe their dream is to self-publish a craft book, maybe it's not knitting even, but just some book, what piece of advice do you have? Start with a master plan. Yeah. Just like a business plan. What is it you want to do? What is your objective? What do you want it to look like? What are your reasons for doing it? Um, I didn't get too much involved in money, like how much am I going to make on each book, because I was going to do it regardless. But you might want to take a look at the money piece of it. Right, um, especially if you don't have, because you had resources set aside from your other business. For mm -hmm. a lot of people, they literally will take a gamble a little bit because they might have to, some people take loans. Um, I tend to be the type of person who does try to save up to do a project as opposed to just, you know, borrowing money to do a project. So I'd be one of the people that would try to say, do you recommend that people maybe save up for the project? As I don't to have a recommendation in that regard. I think if you're trying to support yourself in this industry, you need to look at all the angles. And, maybe and if it's financial financially piece. important to do it, then it's probably okay to take the risk mm -hmm. on borrowing money to do it. But you would, no bank will talk with you if you don't have a plan. What's my cover price going to be? What percent of that mm -hmm. is expense? What percent of that do I realize? What's the distributor cut? You have to have all that planned out and in place if you're going to talk to a bank. And probably, I mean, few people are 60 years old doing this as a retirement job. Most people... <laughs> they want to take it a little easier. Yeah. yeah. Well, most people um, probably need the income. Right, from their activity, right. and they need to look at the financial piece before they um, decide that this is the right thing for them to do. There might be something more lucrative that they could be doing with their time, mm -hmm. and and you have to make those decisions for every project. But once you have, you know, what I'm going to do, what I expect to get out of it, then you need to segregate it into sort of tasks. Okay, in my case, I'm going to need to design the pieces, knit the pieces, have the pieces tech edited, have samples made for after I give the sweaters to the children. I'm going to have to do the photography, the live photography with the models. Each of these chapters has another little piece in it. Here are marbles. Right, just other little detail Other little shots. detail shots. So that's, having extra artwork is always a good thing. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. that's, you know, a separate photo thing. And then um, there's the manuscript editing and the retech editing and then the layout and design. So all the separate tasks mm -hmm. that you have to go through need to be clearly illuminated, sort of on a timeline, what is your, not by dates, but what is your progression of work going to be. So you know exactly what's right. next. Then you need to look at it and decide which parts of this am I going to do and which parts of this am I going to hire somebody to do for me because maybe the learning curve for InDesign software is too steep and I don't want to go there, which was where I was at the time. Well, it's also so different than the kind of designing that you really like to do. Because you, exactly. you don't get to figure out what kind of yarn to use. Exactly. And in that case, you look at other self-published books until you find one that you really love. Mm -hmm. And Janelle's sort of 
sense of joy in life resonated with me. I loved her books. However, they were Janelle. She did such an excellent job of capturing me in this layout. We worked together in two separate sessions to have that happen, but she really got it. Yeah, and that's important because you want the book to look... Because you took the pictures, but the layout is so important. It is. Yeah. It is. And so this book really speaks of me, although it was right. designed by someone else. So you pick the pieces that you wouldn't mind having someone else do for you. Mm -hmm. And then you you figure out what that's going to cost and throw that back into your, your money figure. And then you sort of have your master task plan and you just get going. And this the first parts of this plan... The, the checklist applied to every single pattern. So you have numerous checklists going on at the right, same time. So you're you know photographing this one, this one's being tech edited, this one's at the sample knitter, so you know where everything is all the time. And let me tell you what a happy day it was when I checked off the last <laughs> <laughs> task for the last pattern, yeah. and, I, and then I was ready to go to layout and design. So that was a, a huge milestone. But for me, the only way to approach a project of this magnitude is 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 with planning, right? And planning tools. Well, Use then planning you know tools. that it's going to get done too. Yeah. Because if you're not quite sure where you're at in the progress, or you know, you're just or like, where you're going, or where you're going. Um, well, then you kind of wonder if you're really going to make it to the finish line. Because if you're not sure where you're going. You don't know how far, much further you have. <laughs> exactly. As a runner, I always want to know where the finish line is. Yeah, as a runner, you. yeah. I don't want to get out there and just be running. You know, yeah. I want to know how much time. And where and where am I done? Where are we going to end up and what kind of food are they going to serve at the end? Yeah. That's a good thing to know. <laughs> yeah, so it sounds like, I mean, this is great advice for people. And I think the mystery for a lot of this with book publishing and a lot of first-time authors, whether they're working with a publisher or doing this independently, is trying to figure out, like, okay, how much money, it's like, because all of this is like people will whisper to each other, you know, authors. Once you're a published author, you have other authors you can talk to and you're part of this, whether you're a visionary. But for those of us who haven't published on our own, it's a little bit, you know, you're kind of like, okay, what is the going rate for a tech editor? And what, what is the going rate? Is this something that, is it hard to break into that? I mean, do tech editors talk I, about what, I mean, if you're a first-time author and you have a great idea for a project and you're not a visionary, you know, you're not in the visionary, at the visionary retreat. What advice do you have? I mean, I don't know if you have any place you could point people. Yeah. Because um, obviously we want to point people to Kat because obviously she has a proven record of success. But she, but obviously she can't, can't take, take everyone. She can't take 200 people every year. If you're already designing, and I can only speak for knitwear because right. that's all I know. Of if course. you're already designing, um, you could join the Association of Knitwear Designers. That's a huge wealth okay. of information, and we do share among that community. Who do you use for a tech editor? Okay. You know, what are the pros and cons of this? Does anybody have a good sample knitter who has any time to spare? That kind of thing. Another um, Yahoo, and that's a Yahoo group. Another Yahoo group is Knit Publishing, but that's an invitation only. You okay. have to apply to that group and be approved. And because it's invitation only and a private group, we're able to share more sensitive information mm -hmm. there than on the open groups. Right. Um, and that's been very useful to all of us to be able to share that kind of information. Right. Or when a new technology comes, how are you using this? Or I'm having trouble doing that. Right. And the thing, too, that people, I, I know it could be frustrating for people if they're a knitwear designer and they're not, they feel like they're not in the know, but I think... 
you always want to recognize too that those of you who've been out there for a while and you've built your business from scratch and you're doing these books, you've spent a lot of time and money figuring these things out. You know, because occasionally I'll get the email message that says, tell me everything you know about podcasting and all this stuff and how do you do interviews and how do you very specific, like basically just tell me everything, you know, in an email. And I read these sometimes and I'm just like, you know, you can't get I've been there. talking to strangers since I was a little kid. So part of it is just my life experience. <laughs> but also it's, it's hard to tell someone everything you know. And I share a lot about, you know, equipment I use and, you know, I answer technical questions and, but it's one of those things where I don't really have the time to sit there for free and write, you know, a whole book about this experience and just give it away to people. But the Yahoo groups are a wealth of information. Now, I never looked because I had the visionary circle supporting right, me. Right, right. But there could be a self-publishing group on Yahoo. So people could look around. That might, yeah, that might not be related to your craft of choice. But it would be But it would be self-publishing could, in general. Yeah. Because I know I've interviewed a lot of self-published authors and... People have, it's definitely the thing that's in common with, that all these people share is that it definitely was a project they had passion for. Because you can't kind of do a, you can't do a self-published book halfway. Mm -hmm. You're like, well, I kind of like this idea. It has to be something you really like because you can't Well, we've call. seen some of that yeah. in the knitting world. Not necessarily self-published, but of the published books. The, just, they don't ring true. Yeah. They don't ring true. Well, and I can't think of any greater disappointment as someone who's always had that book thing on my life list of goals to have a book come out and be disappointed in it. Mm -hmm. It's such a monumental thing. Mm -hmm. It's a huge task. I mean, people spend months and years mm -hmm. working on these and that's why to have you sitting here today at the table with a book that rings true sitting, I mean, right on the table. I mean, that's, I mean, congratulations on that. Thank you so it was, very it was a much. Long time in the works. How long did you, how long from idea to completion did you, did that take? Two and a half years. Yeah, that's... the next one won't take that long because right. it's not going to involve child models. <laughs> but it will take a lot of time because yeah. because it's not my full time job. Right. As far as distribution goes, did you have to get somebody to distribute this for you, or are you? Since you well, have my connections... next challenge is marketing this book. Does, I have a help... garage full of these books. Does it help you though that you're in 700 knitting shops? Can you sell? Well, it to if you people? think of every. One of those shops, and not every one of those shops will buy this book. Okay. Of course, I've marketed it to them, okay. and I've had a book signing at TNNA that was aimed for that right. group. And it was very well received. Okay. Getting it reviewed is important, and I've had two reviews. One was in Living Crafts, and one was in Knit and Style. Uh, Yarn Market News has an August review. Now, Yarn Market News is for the trade. That okay. goes to the shop owners. Um, I've sent review copies to all the magazines. Um, and I have an advertising campaign coming up that um, I'll have a quarter page ad in Vogue Knitting for fall mm -hmm. and a quarter page ad in, in Interweave Knits for fall. And I'm, I've always done a lot of advertising with a group called Fiber Buzz. Okay. So I'll be part of collaborative ads in a number of other magazines this fall and winter and holiday season. Mm -hmm. So there's letting people know about the book. Right. I mean, I don't have a blog. Most people don't even know who I am. Really, people who knit my patterns, I, there's only a small percentage of knitters that pay attention to who designed this. Hey, they want to make something. Well, is that changing, though, because a lot of designers do have blogs? Yeah, but I don't. Have you thought about... 
I don't have an hour in the day to devote yeah. to it. So it's I, just not something you're interested in. That does make you really unique, too. You realize, too, among designers. Because, oh, well, yeah, but I yeah. could be shooting myself in the foot. <laughs> I hired a virtual assistant recently to update my Ravelry presence and get all my patterns up there. There would only been a few, and then a lot of knitters had put up you know, the projects they've done with other ones, and it was a hodgepodge mess. And I'll yeah. be advertising the book on Ravelry, too, because there isn't time for one person to, to do all this. You do have to choose. And so I drew the line at blogging because, honestly, I have a lot to say about knitting. I have a lot to say about design process, but I'm not going to share things like my blueberry muffins or how gorgeous my magnolias look in the garden because they're just isn't a part of me that feels quite that social. <laughs> I, I, I'm a very private person. Yeah, well, that's the thing. That's the thing about it that, and I think it's a great example to hear your story because there are a lot of people that give in to that pressure. They might be completely uncomfortable with the concept of blogging, but yet they're doing it, hating it, <laughs> because they're feeling like, this is what I have to do to sell my book. Do you think books. it shines through is, on their well, pages? I think, well, I think you can kind of tell the people who really like blogging and the people who don't. I mean, I've made some choices with my own blog. Uh, I haven't got caught up in that. You must have something every single day. Because, you know, sometimes my life just does not. I'm, I'm working on a quilt for Art Prize. I was up till 3.40 in the morning two nights ago. And the next day I felt like I got run over by a train. And I did not have a second. I was barely awake, let alone there was going to be no pictures or anything from me at all you know uh -huh. and I don't I don't hold myself to the flame on that I also don't reveal as much as some people choose to do so we all have to make our choices but I think what is nice about just hearing your story is you're someone who's success you're successful as a knitwear designer you have a book out that's self-published and you've managed to do all this without twittering Facebook or a blog and that's great because I think a lot of people think that that is the only way in this modern time. And I think that what it really boils down to is it has to be quality work. You could have blog posts every hour sharing your blueberry muffin recipe and doing everything else. But if it's not quality, you're not going to sell anything, you know, and people might just stop coming to your blog. I mean, it's... Well, the time that I would spend on blogging would definitely take away from the time I had to do all the other things right. that people already want me to do. Right. Um, there will be a group on Ravelry, a Knitting at Noon Designs group on Ravelry at some point, but it's going to be co-moderated by my virtual assistant, and I will try to check in every day or two. So that will be a place, not a blog, but a place where I will post things about designing and mm -hmm. and blog type entries and that's how it is with blogging twitter yeah. facebook they're way down at the bottom of the right. list and if you want me to keep creating designs they're going to stay at the bottom of the list right well i think too it could also be kind of a generational thing too where the people there are people i'm in my 30s and there are people in their 20s and younger that the texting culture and all this is so ingrained to daily existence and communication and i'm kind of an old soul in the fact that i do not text all day i don't Twitter all day. I don't like that very much. I would rather sit down with somebody and have a face-to-face -face conversation. So some of it comes down to, you know, just how you choose to communicate with the world. And for you, you're communicating through the stuff you're producing. You know, your patterns are speaking for you. Yeah. Your book is speaking for you. And that's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's refreshing. Well, I actually. hope so. I mean, there are a lot of people who feel that I will not be able to continue to compete. Although I've made my patterns available for download. 
Um, oh, there are people who think you can't continue to compete without a blog? Without having um, online sales, a blog, Facebook, a Ravelry presence. And I think that I'm, I'm doing that in limited ways. But you asked a question a few, a few beats back that I didn't answer completely, and that's, is the book going to be available online? Do you have a oh, distributor? Yeah, yeah, How can people yeah, get it? Yeah. And I don't want to ignore that one because I'm marketing. Well, we obviously want to get, yeah. People, how can people get the book? How can people get the book? Uh, my website is timelessknitspublications.com, and it includes uh, details on the book where you can see a picture of every sweater that's in the book and not just the sweater on the cover. And it also has a button to order from Jimmy Bean's Wool, uh, my big online reseller, um, or from Amazon.com. It's available on Are Amazon. Are you selling it directly at all? No, I'm Can not. Can you tell me why you decided not to do Because that? I don't do retail sales. Oh, okay. Because I don't so mess with sales tax. It's just tax. not in your in your. I your don't do plan. retail okay. sales at all. Even my downloadable patterns are through Patternfish. They handle all of it, and okay. I take a percentage Okay. because I don't do retail. Um, and that was part of my original business plan. It's to not do retail. Right. And so I don't compete with my customers who are the yarn stores at all. Um, even my downloadable patterns are $2 above suggested retail. It's the convenience factor. And oh, that way my okay. customers who stock my patterns in their stores don't feel like I'm undermining them by offering the same thing online. So you're very committed to your, your store, the shops. I am very committed to local yarn shops. Imagine this world without local yarn shops. It would well, be a horrible it's place. It's getting so much harder to be a local yarn shop. Just it because is. Of it is. The well, and, and so forth. I guess yeah. that's why I support yeah. them in the way I do. Yeah. They've been good to me. My mission as a pattern designer is to help them sell yarn with attractive projects that people want to make. Right. Um, and, and, I, and I stick to that. So some of this online stuff has been very difficult for me because I always want to try and do it in such a way that it supports right. my customer. Um, not at the expense of the knitter. Right. Because they're, you know, they're the ultimate user of the pattern. So I've had to find ways for people who don't live near a local yarn shop or who only buy online, by right. golly, <laughs> to get my patterns. Right, um, right. And so now they can. But, okay. but they'll have to pay a little bit more for it. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's definitely a, um, a different business model than some Because I think there are people that go the reverse where they don't think about how to do the wholesale of their patterns, and they kind of go, their, they're like selling it directly, and then if you haven't built that in, it's harder then to figure out, like, okay, now how do I do a wholesale? Because if you haven't figured out your price, yeah, you know, it's a little bit dicey. So it's 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 interesting that you, you made that decision early. I think that's great that you were already set up to have a relationship with the shops that can actually really widely disperse your patterns. So it's... That's kind of what I wanted to do, and not for any... Um, financial reasons, although it's been a very good financial choice as well. Right. Um, but because I do believe in supporting the local yarn stores. Right. Well, yeah, we need them. There's no substitution. to be, When you go into a local yarn shop, you actually can feel the yarn, you can see the colors. Online, it's a completely different, unless you already know that particular, but you can't see the dye lot, like you can see the number, but you mm -hmm. can't see, you can't, it's just a different... A different experience. It is, and I think that all the crafts are so tactile. Well, yeah, you want to 
see and feel what you're you going to work You can't really have that in an online experience. Yeah. Or even with a pattern, I mean... You want to be able to read certain parts of it. You want to look at the materials. Right. You want to pick list. it up and say, to... "Okay, is this something I can actually pull off?" Exactly. You know? And if it's, you just see the photo, exactly. and you might not be able to scan the directions to know. Okay, I don't know what this abbreviation means, and it's not explained. So I'm going to put this back, and move on and buy a different pad. You know, it's just little nuances like that that you won't notice. Exactly. Online, unless you're already familiar with. I mean, people are familiar with your line of patterns. I think they could feel pretty comfortable ordering something. Well, I hope on, so. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. so. But unless you have that established relationship, you don't know. You don't know, and you don't time. know if it's going to be full of errors, and you yeah. you just don't know. Um, back to the marketing plan for yeah. just a moment. So, um, individuals can purchase through Jimmy Beans Wool or through Amazon.com. And is that JimmyBeansWool.com? Yes. Okay. Yes, it is. Okay. And. Um, they can also purchase the book at many fine yarn stores. That group will be growing, I hope. Will it be in any local yarn shops here in West Michigan? I mean, it's in, in West Michigan, where can people buy it? So for press readers. Well, I don't, because I don't sell to the shops. I'm not wholesaling the book. I have, a distrib I have two distributors, Unicorn Books and Crafts and Kramer Yarns are distributing the book for me to the shops. So I don't have a list of who. If they want to get it locally, they'll have to ask their local yarn store okay. out or okay. to stop or wait it. To, or wait for the signings. Or wait for the signings. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because it takes a long, long to time. To get distributed. And... Yeah. The distribute. Well, I've sold quite a few cases on the basis of the show in Columbus. Right. But not to local shops. Those were like... You and, know, and a distributor is handling that. You're not directly Right. Selling. So I never know what shop is going to have So do, you, do they tell you when you need to print more? Like, do you print it and send it to a distributor? Or yeah, they're sitting in my garage. Okay, so <laughs> on you three ship skids. Them. So you ship them. To I the ship them to the distributor. How many copies did you print for your initial press run? Five thousand. So you get better pricing per book the more you order. Okay. I could not make my money back with a first printing of one thousand. You have to look at where your break-even point is. Right. So you want to get more than that. You want to get more than your break-even point. So at the end of the day, if that's all that sales sells is your first printing, then you've still made a profit. Right. And who knows ever how a book is going to sell. Um, it depends a lot on marketing, and, mm -hmm. uh, and that is my next challenge. Well, it helps that you have distributors so you don't have to try to get it every single place. Right. Because that's right. the hard part about self-publishing. Right. So all the yarn shops will know about it after the Yarn Market News Review and after the ads that are coming out this fall, and they have the distributors they ordinarily work with to order it from. And I hope that individuals will um, buy from local shop if they can, but don't let that stop them because it, it is available online. Right. However, Amazon is going to say out of stock. It says this for all new books. Until enough people have ordered it that they will order a case from me. They order from me as the orders are placed. Every week I look and see how many copies got ordered. Okay, I've got to send Amazon 8 this week. Oh, and until okay. that traffic picks up, the page for the book will say so how do out of stock. So people know that if I go to that page and I want to buy it, and it says out I, of stock, what do I do? You just buy it, and then they tell me we need a book. Okay, so you can still buy it if it's out of stock. Oh yes. Okay. You okay. just buy it. Okay. But that threw me off the first time I saw it was with another visionary's book. And why? Why does your page say it's out of stock? You just printed this book. Well, it's the way Amazon works. Okay, because they don't want to be stuck with 
a lot of books. A bunch of books that aren't selling. Right. And so until your marketing plan kicks in and people know about the book and start buying the book, it says out of stock, which is discouraging to a new publisher, yeah. very to a new author, to see that on the page. Now, Jimmy Bean's Wall has autographed copies. Okay. And are, you're not going to sell it on your pattern website at all? It's no. always going to, okay. Yeah. It's always through Timeless Knits Publications and through my resellers or distributors. Because imagine how busy you would be mailing off individual books here, yeah, there, and everywhere. I just can't do it. Or even shipping them to the shops. I just can't do it. Yeah. Well, it sounds like if you've worked out your plan where you can, you know what you need to do. And if your attention is focused now on books two and three, instead of boxing up book one. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be in that phase of boxing up book one for like 5,000 times. You yes. know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And we don't want to do it that yeah. way. <laughs> so the official release date was that at the TNNA the official release date was June 1st, June 1st and TNNA okay. was like June 11th or something okay. shortly thereafter. Okay, so that's so now your mission is just to get the word out about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And how does it feel to have a book um, out, self-published? It's, ex it's exciting. But, you know, there's always the feeling like I'm going to a new school. <laughs> Uh, will, I, will I have a friend? Will anybody buy my book? I mean, you know, yeah. you're always going to feel that way. And, well, so, and, I'm, it, and it I'm sitting right there right now thinking, oh, will anybody like this book? Will anybody buy this book? Well, I think people will love the book. Thousands of copies of your patterns. You still feel that level of yes. angst, anxiety about this? Yes. And that is amazing yes. to me because, I mean, you are you're someone with a proven track record. You know? I do that with every new pattern. Really? Yeah. Will they like this one? <laughs> Will they like birds as much as they like elephants? <laughs> well, that makes the rest of us feel a little more normal. Jeez. Oh, I am just a normal person. Yeah. One thing I've learned since becoming a knitwear designer is we are all normal people. Yeah. I yeah, used to, like, revere all these people. No, 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 yeah, no. We're just folks, yeah. and this is what we do. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like I think probably having, you know, the healthy ego about not being because sometimes I think people to their own detriment become become really great in their own mind <laughs> and you start to lose your edge a little bit because I mean if you put out a new project and you're still feeling as vulnerable as the first time you put out a project it kind of keeps you fresh in a way because you're not so comfortable that this last project pattern had a mistake in it because you were too cocky about thinking, well, I got this down. You know, I don't mm -hmm. need my tech editor anymore. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just think, I mean, I think that's probably quite healthy to be like, okay, I got to, you know, I'm going to just see what happens. Well, and everything I design, and I'm sure you feel this way too, is sort of like a little piece of me because that's what it's the creative personal. process yeah, is. Yeah. And so... Putting that piece out there, even if you have a track record, this is a new piece of me. Right. Will you love it too? You right. know, it's just always, always that feeling of maybe this isn't good enough. Maybe I'm the only person that loves this, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then to figure out, but what kind of response have you gotten? Because it sounds like there's been a couple of reviews. Yes. And what kind of what what happened at TNNA at the conference? It was a marvelous response. Yeah. I had 75 tickets. Um, Passed out by Unicorn for the book signing. Yeah. I actually signed 81 copies. Oh, great. Um, it was extremely well received. Part of the reason is this is a tough age group. It's easy to find patterns to knit for babies and toddlers. Right. But older children, there aren't that many patterns for them. 
um, that aren't like really sort of involved and over-designed and about the knitting process well, rather than a piece of clothing that a child could, could wear. Well, the way what resonated with me with this is these are sweaters that you could knit, put on your child, and not freak out about. It's not like the Christmas sweater or the special Easter sweater. There's sweaters that could be definitely worn for special occasions, but you took pictures of them at a camp, at summer, you know, at the family camp out. It wasn't like these are only precious sweaters that and they're precious in the sense that their grandma made each of these sweaters but you made them for them to wear absolutely not to be like okay um this is only for like twice in your life and that's it and the but first it, chapter in know. the book actually addresses choosing yarn for kids oh yeah because it's wear out I mean, yeah and can, well and my daughters throw these in the washer they throw them in the dryer they're wadded up on the floor and knitters are not always used to that because mm -hmm. they go into knit shops a lot of times and the pattern's calling for something that's expensive and um fancy and involved you know and this you is don't want to put that on a kid no, for I mean, goodness sake i mean some of us can barely afford to put that on ourselves uh -huh. you know? i mean i mean so to have something that's washable wearable and patterns that are just accessible so all the yarns i used in the book have a really good price point too yeah you could make most of these sweaters for 30 dollars or less wow and that's incredible yeah, because that's not the case with a lot of mm -mm, patterns mm -mm. out there. But so then you can wash them, dry them with the rest of your laundry, and your kids are going to love them because they're going to be comfortable. Right. And you're not going to be going, oh, no, you can't wear that sweater. Or yelling at your husband because he put it in with the rest in of the, the dryer. Wash. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's like a quarter whatever. of the size. This yeah. is meant to create wardrobe yes. pieces. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's great that you've been able to fill a gap in what was available, you know, out there for knitters. Well, you know, my grandchildren are now on. Now, beyond toddlerhood. Right, so you had to move up. I had to move up. Right. So watch out. Preteens are coming next. Yeah. Well, that's, and you know, that's great, too, because there's not a lot out there mm -hmm. for preteens, because there's a lot for babies and there's a lot for adults, you know, and um, so it'll be interesting to see what you come up with next. But So this has got to be just wonderful to be now in a position where you have that book experience and you still have your pattern business going. And um, I'm curious about what are you knitting now that you can just knit whatever you want? What are you oh, making? Well, each of the grandchildren has outgrown their sweaters, most right. of them. Okay, so the you're doing the back to school. So they all ask for sweaters for fall, and that's what I'm doing. Plus, I'm also working this summer on a really exciting project. I don't know if you know my pattern, the Wrap Me Up Shawl. The number one pattern since it was introduced because yarn stores love it because it sells lots of yarn it teaches <laughs> lots of skills yeah yeah um it's so pretty that you can't stop working on it things change i mean it's a big shawl that uses a whole bag of yarn a thousand yards of yarn oh, and wow. you can't stop working on it because it's so exciting to see what comes next what comes next well that's been out there for three years I think yeah and still workshops and knit-alongs all the time oh, about great. the shawl I have more than a thousand pictures that people have sent me of their finished wrap oh, mats. Wow. no two ever look the same that's wonderful but then one of my shop owners knit it in sock yarn as a scarf oh, yeah. and it's like this whole new life for this yeah. pattern and maybe you're not a shawl person or maybe it was too big you can knit it as a scarf. So I'm working on the sample. Oh, as a as a, as a scarf. The pattern doesn't change. It's the same. It's just going to be smaller, of course. Yes, the 
pattern will not change. Oh my gosh, I love the variegation. Well, I knew you would. I thought yes. of that earlier. And so what I'll be doing when this is done is my daughter, who was just walking around, is my uh, main adult model. Yeah. And she will uh, model this, and I'll be sending out a postcard mailer to all the shops, yes. as well as posting on my website the picture and exactly how to adapt the pattern, which oh, doesn't take much adaptation, yeah. to make a scarf instead of a shawl. But what's happened in the interim as I've been knitting all these larger gauge projects, I used to do socks a lot, is that I've gotten older and my vision is not what it was. So I'm working on teeny tiny yeah, needles. Yeah, what size are you on here? Twos. Oh, wow. And very thin yarn that splits. <laughs> and what it's taking a long time. It? It's beautiful. It's a mini mochi from Crystal Palace. Oh, I love the variegation. They have this particular sock yarn has a long, long striping repeat. This is actually two balls where you do two rows oh, from one yeah. and two rows from the next so that you can get the get a more striped appearance going. And how then, fun is that? How is this going to fit together then when it's done? Well, with the exception of this strip, which goes down maybe another 18 inches beyond the end of this piece. Okay. This strip is knit as a separate piece and joined with a three-needle bind-off. Oh, okay. The rest of it is all knit together. Okay, so you're This is block them. one, this is block two, this is block three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So you're doing so much experimentation mm -hmm. with different... Each block has a different stitch pattern and you're learning something new. Um, beading, very simple to knit with oh, beads. Oh, yeah, and it's such a fun thing. And so, yeah, there are two other blocks that have beads down farther towards that end. So I'm revisiting an old favorite pattern here. Yeah. And so um, will you be selling the pattern or just giving people information about how to... It'll just be information. Oh, so just one more incentive to buy it and be Or if to... you already have it, here's something here's else something fun else you, you can do, do with yeah. it. So the yarn stores will have a little postcard showing, you know, how it looks on, on a person. Because I like to do live model shots. I don't like to just lay it out and well no you really can't get can't see how, how, yeah. how big it how big and when it, it wraps is or the shawl I mean when the shawl is big enough to wrap, but when you wrap the scarf will it connect in some way or are you gonna just have it be the same as the I'm not sure. Until okay. I until it's finished and blocked and on the model, I can't tell if it's just gonna hang or, or if you'll have go it go around or you know what it's gonna be. It's definitely gonna be beautiful because that is really fun. Thank you. What a fun now do you ever teach workshops? Yourself? I do. Do you ever teach locally? Not so much. Isn't that funny? Yeah. It's hard to get gigs in town. I travel. Like, when Isn't I teach, funny? I travel. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a big so place funny. where I'm doing this as a retreat, as a, a workshop, a one-day workshop, is at Artisan Networks in Gross Point Park. Which is a, yeah. a two and a half hours across. And Portage, yeah. that shop, has me do things for them from time to time. So, you know, well, that's good news for the people listening, because there's a chance you might show up in a town near them. Yeah. <laughs> For those yeah. in Grand Rapids, we might have to wait a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny. But, well, that's really cool. So you're getting a chance to kind of reinvent yeah. a favorite. And yeah, and I know it'll, it'll, it'll make my customers, the yarn store owners, happy because people have loved this project, and they might have a lot of sock yarn they want to move, and they might want to do another round of knit Well, there's a lot and... of people who like sock yarn. I know, I mean, I think the only pair of socks I actually finished were a pair I made for my mom. And I knew I wouldn't have time to make another pair anytime soon. So I, I remember said, when you I did try, those. Can I try these on? 
Because <laughs> I've never worn hand knit socks. Uh huh. I've never I've never worn a pair, and I don't currently own a pair because I I give a lot of the stuff I make away, and so I'm like I just Most have to try these do. on because I won't get to wear these. Did you, know? you like the feeling? I loved it, and I thought, oh my gosh, I really hope. Because see, I do great when I I love the part knitting socks, like until you get to the heel and you have to pay attention. And a lot of the, the time, I can't pay attention exclusively to a pattern. So I'm in that stage of life where I'm usually at the park with my kids and I can be walking. I can actually be walking while they're riding their bikes. I will knit around the block. Like I frequently will do that. And that's easy to do if you don't have to look at a pattern. You just exactly. knit along and just see, oh, look at the pretty color coming off my variegated skein and getting <laughs> out of my bag, you know. But when you have to pay attention, it limits me a little bit just because, I mean, because this is beautiful. I mean, but will I have time before Art Prize to even think about doing something like that? No. Probably not. <laughs> so, Probably yeah. not. And I was surprised because of my age now how much longer it's taking me to do this on tiny little sock yarn. I could have had the shawl done by now. Well, yeah, because you're looking, I mean, it's very small compared to, yeah. what size needles do you make the shawl on? Sevens or eights. Which is a huge difference. Huge difference yeah. and worsted weight yarn. So I'm thinking about investing in one of those big magnifiers. Yeah, they work wonders, yeah. That sits here. Yeah, or you, get one, on, on your you can get one on an arm too, but you're kind of limited then. Yeah, be that's table. my knitting corner right over okay. there. So, so you just wear it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, maybe I could finish that faster if I could see what I was doing. <laughs> it's very deliberate now to do that. Yeah. But it's gorgeous. It's fantastic. So mm -hmm. it sounds like we know we can expect a couple more books, you know, are in the planning stages right now. What else can we expect as far as pattern, patterns for your life? Oh, the toy line is growing. I have, Feathers came out in June, and, and I don't know if everybody knows about that one yet, but it's a flamingo and a blue-footed booby. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, it's a flamingo, a blue-footed booby, a toucan, and a, a um, peacock. Oh, my gosh. In the same whimsical style as my other animals. That's been very well received. What's your favorite thing to design? Toys. Toys, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And did, you probably didn't expect that. I didn't. What so inspired far, your first toy? First a trip to, well, the first toy was my older grandson's second birthday. And we had been, long before we had grandchildren, well, a few years before we had grandchildren, We'd been on safari in Africa for three weeks, oh. and it was a really lovely safari. We went with our best friends, and we had a private safari, just the four of us. Oh, wow. What a great experience. It was, like, unbelievable. It's a dream vacation. Yeah. It was. It was my probably the one place I want most to go back because it was so lovely. Yeah. And um, we went for a solar eclipse, which we photographed mm -hmm. on the banks of the Zambezi River in Zimbabwe, where you can't even go anymore. And um, I took, because I'm a, I was a photographer before I was ever a knitwear designer, I took some really fantastic photos. And I thought for his second birthday, I really should frame a set, an elephant, a giraffe, a zebra, and a lion. Oh. For his bedroom, and then I thought, yeah, but what two-year-old is going to get geeked about that? You're like, thanks, Grandma. Yeah. So I thought, well, to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so to go along with that, I designed Safari Friends. Okay, so something he could actually play with. He could actually play with. So there was a one to like one of each of those animals, right? Okay, and that's turned into. And that was so so popular. I knew right away I had to do another one for the next year, 
And everybody loves dinosaurs. So that oh, was yeah. Prehistoric Pals. And then I did Snow Buddy Family and then Take Me to Your Leader, The Aliens and Feathers. Think... And so this will be number six in the series. That's awesome. So is there anything else you want to say to the folks at home? Any closing thoughts of like what you think people... I love you all. Let's keep it fun. <laughs> all right. We can't end any better than that. Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate that. Thank you, Jennifer. It's always a delight to be with you. Well, I know I learned a lot. Uh, I hope you did too. And a special thanks to Chris for sharing the story of her knitting career and the whole behind-the-scenes peek into what it took to put together her book. Uh, if you've recently self-published a book that might be in the pile in my dining room right now, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just a little behind schedule. <laughs> so, um, And I'll elaborate a little more on what I have going in the after show. But first, I'd like to thank my sponsors once again for making this show possible. I was very lucky this episode to have three sponsors, which is really, really wonderful. Thank you so much to all of you. I want to remind you to head over to knitcollage.com. Over there, you're going to find out about Amy Small and this really cool project that she's doing where she is from the United States, but she's living in Hong Kong, and she has a studio there full of spinners that she taught to spin her designs. And her designs involve, as I mentioned earlier, you know, sparkly fi fibers and sequins and crochet flowers. It sounds absolutely wonderful. Now, I've seen the pictures. I have not seen this yarn in person, but it looks really fun. So there's some free patterns up on her blog that will kind of give you an idea of what's possible if you decide you'd like to get your hands on some of that yarn. The yarn is also available. It's at knitcollage.com. You can purchase yarn, or you can go over to pearlsoho.com as well. So check out those options and see what you feel inspired to make with some of that beautiful yarn. And we're covering like all areas of the globe <laughs> on this episode. Uh, the next sponsor is Linda over in Tuscany, Italy, which just sounds absolutely wonderful. And uh, Linda is super creative, and I apologize if I am saying the name of her website incorrectly. I think it's tor tortagiala.com. My Italian is terrible. Sometimes I feel like I barely have a grasp on English. <laughs> so to get to her website, it's www.tortagiala.com, and there's an Etsy site tortagiala.etsy.com so you can check that out and you can find some really cool leather journals that are made by hand they're one of a kind Linda makes each of these and uh, really enjoys book binding so you can see some really beautiful work over there and she has several things so go to her main website and you'll see all the things she's involved with in the art and craft world and it really is impressive so stop over check things out. She actually just made a zine and I bought a copy of it and it's about art journaling and she pieced it all together. It was one of those, she made every issue, which is really awesome. And there's a lot of, um, there's a package in the back that has bits of paper and little things that you can use to embellish the journal. Well, it's, I'm already calling it a journal, but it's intended as a zine about art journaling, but it has, contains prompts to have you pretty much convert it into your own journal. So there's plenty of places to write and some, like I said, a lot of goodies in the back pouch there that you can use to embellish. So 
Congrats to Linda for all her creative endeavors. And I also want to thank Mary from arttales.etsy.com. And she is the creator of Lefties. That's L-E-F-T-Z. Lefties are one-eyed plush creations that are handmade with upcycled materials from thrift stores and yard sales. And they're stuffed with recycled plastic shopping bags. They also are embellished with vintage trims and buttons. So these are super, I mean, as recycled as you can get. They're already famous. Uh, They were featured in Stuffed Magazine recently. If you're in the market for a new softie and would like to add a one-eyed monster to your collection, head over and check them out at arttales.etsy.com. And uh, thanks again to Mary for sponsoring the show and Linda and Amy. I wouldn't be doing this without your support, so I really do appreciate that. If any of you folks listening at home would like to become a sponsor of an upcoming episode, send an email to sponsors at craftsanity.com. It's a great way to kind of get the word out to the handmade community and get a little more exposure for your venture, whatever that may be. If you have other ideas about partnerships or whatever, just uh, let me know. I'm, I love creative thinking, and if you have a good idea, by all means, share it. Yeah, so let's see. What other loose ends do we have here? I have been recording some Art Prize interviews, and uh, Art Prize is the big international art competition that's going on here in Grand Rapids, and I have uh, been able to see some really great and inspiring pieces here in town, and I'm trying to interview artists while they're here in town. So I'll bring a couple of those interviews to you very shortly. Yeah, I think that I'm going to move into the after show at this point because I'm slowly, um, I think I'm running out of steam here, but I do want to let you know that I'm going to be talking about my zine project in the after show. So if that's any incentive to keep listening, I hope you join me after the music plays. (laughs) So I'll be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, craft sanity, my friends, it works for me. Well, hello, and welcome to the after show. I'm very happy to report that I survived my uh, mad dash to complete five quilts in time for Art Prize, which Art Prize is a pretty huge international art competition here in Grand Rapids. It was started last year. Uh, the top prize is a quarter of a million dollars. And uh, yeah, so it's it's a pretty pretty big event. I didn't really have any intention of entering, which I think I've talked about before. And a series of events occurred that kind of landed me in the middle of a massive charity effort and kind of came down to the point where I was working basically that's all I did for the month before. So I was pretty inattentive to my blog except for talking about that project and um, books, review copies of books were piling up and yeah, I was basically doing nothing else. So um, my apologies to people whose emails I've still yet to respond to. Yeah, and uh, to the people that live in my house and where the dining room table is still currently covered with stuff. So, yeah, I'm catching up. I'm trying to slowly dig out and regroup. It was a good experience. It was a good challenge um, to see if I could even pull it off. I really like to kind of challenge myself to see what actually is possible. Probably not healthy to, you know, go for days where you're eating a sandwich at 3 a.m. because you're still awake and you have work to do. Um, So I definitely don't recommend 
tackling projects this way, but I'm uh, trying to get my running back on track and uh, moving ahead with some other projects. And I am very, very excited to share with you folks that I am in the process of putting together a zine that I'm hoping to, uh, if all goes well, it will go to press next month, um, kind of mid-month, and uh, mid-November, and um, will be available in both print and digital formats. So there are a few details that still need to be worked out. Um, I still have some advertising to sell. Actually, I have a lot of advertising to sell since I, yeah, it's, <laughs> this thing has been like something I was like daydreaming about as I was stitching, you know, hand stitching a bunch of hexagons together that I was like, what would I do if I wasn't doing this right now? Like, what could I do with my time? And it's like, I would make a zine. Um, and actually I had this idea well before um, I took on the charity project. Uh, this is something I've been wanting to do for years and it doesn't make sense to keep waiting to do this because um, my background is in journalism, print journalism specifically. So I've been interviewing people and writing articles and tutorials for a really long time now. So I guess if I've trained for anything, I've trained for, you know, making a zine. Uh, didn't ever really train to have a podcast. Um, still am not quite sure how this whole thing <laughs> came to pass. It still kind of cracks me up because it wasn't my intention. But the zine, I mean, definitely is something that I intend to do. And I'm so excited that I've called people up and asked for participation and I've gotten a really great response and I really appreciate that. I've found some people on the web that I've recruited to be part of this um, first issue and geez if I could afford it I would publish tutorials from all of you and it'd be a gigantic thing but the printing costs um, kind of blew my hair back a little bit let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I'm like wow. Wow. Yeah so um, so yeah this is kind of an experimental thing here. I'm going to see how this goes, see how it's received. Um, I don't know how you feel, but I know that the zines I've purchased, I kind of like being able to put them in my bag, you know, and with whatever project I'm working on and be able to take it out and refer to it and have it not involve any kind of touch screen or computerized devices. I, I kind of like the old fashioned, be able to read the zine, but at the same time, I do appreciate the fact that if you can download a file in a PDF format or have something that you can read on the iPad, you don't have all these magazines and books piling up in your house because, I mean, that's one of my biggest problems is as a little clutter bug here who's addicted to books. Um, I regard them as my friends. I mean, I, I, I love my books, and I um, have too many. So I think uh, new media might actually be my saving grace as much as I would love to see newspapers and magazines continue to print, I understand why many are choosing to go out of print or just be online. But um, the Craft Sandy Zine will be introduced in multiple formats, and we will see what the demand is for the hard copy. And if there's a demand, I will continue to meet the demand and publish a zine with printed out copies. But yeah, so the market will decide. And I think the most important thing I want to get across is that um, I really want the zine to be an extension of craft sanity and kind of what I started with the podcast, which then led to the blog and now is going to be a bigger publication. And the publication, it's vital that this publication include more than just me. So I am going to be looking for submissions. I do have several for this initial 
um, publication, but I'm going to be looking for things. Uh, this first issue is, uh, the theme is kind of winter, pretty basic uh, winter theme, which kind of is the umbrella for cozy crafts, not necessarily cozies, like a tea cozy. I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to that, but my intention was kind of to have kind of a cozy up theme, like staying warm in the winter. I live in the Midwest and it gets cold here. Not as cold as it gets up in the UP, but uh, it's pretty cold. And uh, I know I like my mittens, hats, scarves, you know, sweaters and stuff. So, um, you know, the hot chocolate and all the things that make you feel warm. So if you have something that, you know, you want to contribute that fits into that winter theme, whether it's like a really great gift, handmade holiday gift idea, or I don't know, I don't want to dictate what you should submit so much. And that sounds kind of crazy. The other editors out in the where in the world are probably like, no, don't tell them to send everything. But um, yeah, I kind of would like to create a zine that's going to be something that the craft sanity community is going to enjoy. And craft sanity has become much bigger than me. Everybody that tunes in to listen to these interviews, all the people that have been on the show have helped kind of create um, this kind of culture around it, which has been really fun to watch that grow. So um, I don't want to have the entire zine written by me. Um, obviously, my participation level will probably be um, the highest in this first zine because uh, I'm trying to produce it on a shoestring budget. I don't want to go crazy. I want to make sure that this is something that's viable. Because if I do it once and it bombs, then you know people will be like, well, nice try, Jennifer. I do it, you know, two or three times and it keeps bombing, then people might say, well, you might want to think about something else. But anyway, I'm going to try to be smart about this here and be kind of conservative on the first issue. And uh, yeah, so if you would like to sponsor this publication, there's going to be some pretty full color options for you. You know, I'd love to have you on board and I'm printing locally and I'm also going to be checking out the recycled paper options and... Uh, I'd like to produce this in the most eco-friendly way possible. So, yeah, stay tuned for those details. And, uh, again, if you want to sponsor, just like sponsoring this show, if you want to sponsor the zine, just email me or um, send a note to sponsors at craftsanity.com, and we'll get back with you. And this is kind of pushing me outside my comfort zone because I don't normally like, well, I don't really like to sell advertising, period, especially when it's for my own project. But yeah, this zine will not pay for itself if I don't have some advertising support. So I'm in the market for some partners and I'm excited about a couple of the projects I'm doing. I think are going to be, I'm really excited to do these projects and uh, I just have to carve out some time and get those things done. And I really enjoyed kind of the pattern testing I've been doing for some of the submissions. And yeah, I think I'm excited. Um, I yeah, I've wanted to do this for a really long time. So I think this could be the start of something really great. Uh, and then again, maybe not. We just don't know. We won't know for, oh, another month or so. Um, <laughs> so we can reflect then. Um, but I'm going to do the best I can to make this into a publication that you're going to be excited to read and contribute to. And I'm trying to set it up where I can actually... Um, Get get it so it's actually not just a free contributor thing. I do want this to be a little more 
lucrative than that um, for people because I respect, I write for other publications and I understand what goes into it and I've written a lot for free and written a lot of tutorials for free and done a lot of tech TV segments for free so I work a lot for free and I know that um, sometimes it kind of wears down a little bit when you're doing everything for free so um, we'll try to see what we can do to uh, get more of you involved and I'll do my best to build this into a viable publication in one of the most challenging times to start a new publication so we'll see we'll see what happens I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, about this thing I'm pursuing here and if you have any story ideas or recommendations on products that I should be reviewing, featuring, or just telling people they, they need to check it out, feel free to, to contact me. You can send me an email, jennifer at craftsanity.com. And if, you're, if you'd like to get involved and uh, publish a tutorial of your own or interview somebody, send me a note about that too. You know, I'm not going to require you to have a bachelor's degree in journalism or, you know, years of interviewing experience to participate. So I, I think this would be kind of cool to give people a chance to kind of get out there and get published. I know a lot of you make cool stuff in the privacy of your own homes, uh, but keep, keep my publication in mind as a place that you can maybe get your ideas out there. So, um, you know, I like to catch people on the way up. I think that's fantastic. In fact, I, I really, really enjoy kind of putting a little bounce into the people's springboard a little bit, um, maybe serving as that springboard to get people to the next level, to do what I can to kind of shine the light on people. So this will be kind of a publication that will do that. Um, I want it to be inspiring and informative. And uh, my hope is that it will just continue to get better the longer you know I, I try to do this. So anyway, well, I'm going to stop talking now about it because i got a lot of work to do on this thing. Uh, if you're interested in advertising and being a part of this, uh, Love to talk to you. I'm all about coming up with kind of creative partnerships. So if you have some ideas about what you'd like to do to be involved in this, just send me an email. Just send me an email and we'll talk about it. Yeah, so I'm going to be scrambling. I have another uh, podcast interview I'm recording tomorrow too. So I've got some things set up for the coming weeks and I'm very excited. We'll meet back here again in a week or two if all goes well. And... Uh, until then, I hope you have a lot of fun making stuff, and I'm going to get back to work on my zine.